In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Glory to Jesus Christ. This morning, Jesus marvels. The Son of God marvels. He stands in awe. Not of one of his fellow rabbis, or a Pharisee, or a scribe, who would have known the scriptures, who would have been looking for the Messiah. But he marvels at the faith of a centurion, a Roman soldier. He remarks after the declaration, the proclamation of the faith of the centurion, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. The centurion in today's gospel is an incredible example of faith. The centurion goes to our Lord. Think of this, a Roman soldier who is a leader goes to hear about this wandering teacher, miracle performer, He's not going to a Roman temple. He's not going the normal routes. He goes to speak to this man. You can imagine what his peers, other centurions, you can imagine what those under him think. But all he can think about is his servant. It's not his wife. It's not his kids. It's not even his in-laws. It's his servant. And he goes to our Lord, and with great humility, he asks, pleading with our Lord, my servant, he's at home, he's paralyzed, and he's tormented dreadfully. And Jesus says, I will come and heal him. The centurion's answer, Jesus says, I'll come, I'll heal him. Let's put it you know, in the pocket diary. I'm going to uh, set a date. Let's, let's do this. This probably would have, okay, the centurion, I've heard about this. Okay. Can you imagine the, the humble but audacious response? You know, he says, Lord, I'm not worthy that you should come under my roof. And here's the audacity. Only speak a word and my servant will be healed. Now, audacity, I don't mean uh, out of place. I mean bold. I mean faith. For he says, only speak a word. We don't have to look at your schedule and plan a time for you to come. All you have to do right here, right now, you won't even meet my servant. Say a word and he will be healed. His faith in our Lord is not one of maybes or possibilities or ifs. Maybe I'm going to hedge my bets. If you've heard of Pascal's wager, right? Does God exist? Does not God? Does God not exist? It's like a cost-benefit analysis. I'm just going to go with. I'm going to prefer to go to heaven than maybe something else or nothing. So, not good. Not a bad life. So, let's follow God. The centurion speaks out of his faith because he speaks out of experience. He comes to our Lord as to one with 
authority. For he sees in the Lord someone who can make things happen. For he says, I am also a man under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to this one, go. And he goes. And to another, come. And he comes. Now, we're talking about the Roman army here. We're talking about a situation in which, if you were to say, Centurion, I don't think so. You know, boss, sergeant, lieutenant, I don't think so. This doesn't happen. If it does happen, latrine duty, two weeks, right? You're going to scrub everything. The centurion knows what it is to have authority. And so when he comes to our Lord, he does not come questioning, kind of seeing, right? We've encountered many people in the Gospels. They're come and they want to scope Jesus out. They might ask him some questions. They might try to trap him. They might try uh, to observe, right? They hear about fish and loaves, so they want to follow Jesus to eat. The centurion, he comes because he knows that our Lord can accomplish what he wills. The centurion models for us a faith that is unblinking in its firmness. He knows that if Christ speaks, it will happen. He is an example, as we heard in the epistle, of someone who has become a slave to righteousness obedience, understanding what it is to come unto the authority of Christ. And he has done this no matter what surrounds him, no matter what may come of it. He has prioritized Christ above his reputation, above looking like a fool if he's gone and the word gets out, right? That he's gone to this man, this wandering teacher, But he's prioritized Christ. He seeks his presence. He only looks for a word. He looks for the healing of Christ. This is what rules the centurion's expectations and his life. In Romans 8, at the very end of of Romans chapter 8, we have Paul waxing rhapsodical about what comes between us and Christ, neither height nor depth nor width. You know, if you're familiar with this passage, and very often we interpret it, this is about Christ's love for me, right? Nothing can get in between Christ's love for me. St. John Chrysostom doesn't interpret that passage that way. He actually flips it on its head, which I'm going to go with uh, St. John Chrysostom and reading the Greek and understanding St. Paul. He says that it's our love, our faith, no height, nor depth, nor width, nothing, principalities, death, whatever is in the world can mitigate, separate my love, your love for Jesus Christ. This is the centurion's faith. It is a faith in Christ, not in himself It is a faith that knows 
that mountains move, that mustard seeds can become great trees. But let's step back just a moment. What is the centurion's faith? What is he concerned for? He's not concerned for himself. This has nothing to do with something that he is asking for himself. He's asking something for his servant. His boldness, his faith, it's intercessory prayer. It's reaching out to Christ, not on behalf of himself. I'm sure it would be good for his servant to be healed. But he's concerned about the dreadful, tormented man that he has come to know and obviously love. I can't help but also, like Jesus, marvel at the faith of the centurion. The priority of Christ above every worry, every counter thought, every cost-benefit analysis, or maybe the nagging despair, the possibility of public shame. I also marvel today at someone else's faith, and that is whom we have before us and commemorate today, St. Elizabeth the New Martyr, whose relic we have before us, whose icon we have before us. If you have never read the life of St. Elizabeth the New Martyr, I encourage you to read about this 20th century saint, someone who spans for us, especially here in the West, who do not maybe have lineage that goes back, and if it did, maybe centuries ago, to uh, the eastern part of Europe. But she spans England, Germany, spending the rest of her life after she marries in Russia, growing up Lutheran, being married still as a Lutheran to an Orthodox Duke, Duke Serge. She eventually becomes an Orthodox Christian out of her free will. And she imitates the faith, the roots that had been given to her from her family, especially her mother, her namesake, St. Elizabeth of Hungary, who is canonized in the Roman Catholic Church. She looks to, even before the murder, the assassination of her husband, she's always turned towards the other. Someone who could distance herself completely from people, put themselves off into a royal palace, just go to the nice balls, all those things. She devotes her life to helping. She creates a community in Moscow. She, especially in response to the assassination of her husband, turns towards the world. The world that was so chaotic, so tumultuous, to serve. Now as she started this community and eventually becomes abbess of this community, there's always a tension. What is happening from outside? What is happening inside? What can, especially if you take on a ministry of serving the poor, raising orphans, teaching them, to do all of this work, to just become consumed in it, right? 
And it's all for a good cause. It's to help other people. But this community being named St. Mary and Martha is, in her vision, the fusion of the active life and the contemplative life. The priority being, as she lived in this community, the priority of Jesus Christ, of the services of the church, of her submission to her spiritual father, Father Mitrofan, who guided her, who taught her the use of the Jesus prayer and her struggle for purity of mind and heart. And she's doing all of this service, all of this help towards others, even in the midst, as I say, tumultuous. I don't mean just like the time we live in, where there's kind of always something going on, whether or not the media makes it bigger or whatever. There's always stuff going on because we can access and know everything that's going on in a neighborhood halfway across the world. But she continues to struggle in the midst of the Bolshevik Revolution, in the midst of murder, of the midst of betrayal, in the midst of everything that had been dissolving, some of it just overnight, the rest of the chaos ensuing for days, weeks, years. In the midst of all of that turmoil, strife, and especially because she's an abbess, (laughs) in a convent, and they're killing bishops in the street. They're killing priests in the street. They're dragging nuns from their convent and murdering them in the street. She stands in the midst of this. Does she retreat inside? Does she shut the doors to the convent? Does she say, okay, we're just going to stop what we've been doing? No. She continues She does all of this, like the centurion, priority of Jesus Christ, a faith that believes we're going to do what we need to do. And Jesus, we need your help. If you bless this, it will happen. She does all of this, not for herself, but for the sake of the suffering, the sick, the orphan, the lost. Nothing comes between her and Christ. Now we can see the faith of the centurion, we can see the faith of St. Elizabeth, the new martyr, and we can turn this to our own personal struggles, the things that we struggle with, the things that we would like to see uh, God take apart, take away from us, free us from. And that is absolutely right. But as we see in the centurion and St. Elizabeth, their concerns, their utmost faith, the priority of Jesus Christ in their life, is actually oriented towards someone else. They are concerned with the centurion, with the servant. St. Elizabeth Elizabeth is concerned for the sisters that have gathered under her care, for those who are sitting in the hospital bed, those who need a father or a mother, those who need help, no matter what's going on. So we can also see this faith for us as a community, as St. Anne's, as each of us direct our attention and life towards each other. There's many challenges in life and community, and as, as there are many joys, I don't want to just underline challenges, there's great 
joy. Why does the centurion want the servant healed? Why does St. Elizabeth do what she does? Yes, it's an obedience to God, but God blesses. He returns that faith. But challenges in community life, especially as we look forward, we have many incredible opportunities ahead of us. A building to build, grounds to shape, to better reflect our life and all of the busy life of all the little feet running to and fro. We have and are focusing on organizing ourselves in various ministries. There are small group. There is attention to the appointments in the temple. There's been and has been, of course, the choir who leads us and helps us with worship. As you've seen, there might be some uh, larger figures in the altar than you're used to, even this morning with adult men coming to help serve in the altar. We look forward to all of these various projects, new faces, new relationships, relationships that we might have had that will grow deeper, and all the challenges that come from us, from this, from us, challenges that will become, at some points, maybe seem like they're insurmountable, impossible. We don't know what to do with them. And challenges make us think. They make us think. They make us think. They make us think. They make us shirk responsibilities because we're in the uh, hamster wheel, right? We're just going. Stress. Anxiety. Being overwhelmed. All of these challenges presented to us, they can come from within. But for many of us, they come from without. Other people, other situations, things that come in the way. What are we going to do? We're going to go to Christ. We're going to have the faith of the centurion of St. Elizabeth. And we're going to say, you're unworthy to come under the, my roof. Just say a word. And I and all my brothers and sisters can be healed. For our priority, our faith in Jesus Christ is absolutely primary. It is what we need in order for our community to thrive. Now I'm not talking about numerically building, that's all, that's fine, that's good. That's all a means to an end of the healthiness of this community because if Christ doesn't come first, if anything else comes first, we aren't going to be healthy. We are going to turn on each other. We're going to run away. We're going to do all sorts of things, contrary, self-inflicted harm, or the loss of other brothers and sisters. Now, what all of this is then kind of still talking about uh, close to home. We will be doing all of this for the sake of a future brother and sister, of someone else that we can share the life of St. Elizabeth with, that can come into the bosom of the Orthodox Church, 
to come and to understand what it is to ask Christ for the sake of someone else to heal them, to put aside all of our earthly cares, our worrying, the stress or the anxiety or being overwhelmed by all that is coming before us. I'll give you just a little hint. Almost every single sermon that I preach, do you know who I'm preaching to primarily? Or first? Me. <laughs> Christ has to come first. He is who our devotion For we are all men and women under authority, under the authority of Jesus Christ. And when we ask of him with faith like the centurion or the faith like St. Elizabeth, glorious things can occur. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.